This last week, I was invited to one of the Phillies playoff games. And the person said, do you want to come? And I said, is the Pope Catholic? Of course I want to go to a Phillies playoff game. And I went on Wednesday night, and uh, that was the night. It was like a home run derby for the Phillies, and they kept crushing home run after home run, and the crowd was electric, and it was really just such a fun game to be at. And I'm really thankful uh, for the invite. But what I might remember the most about that game was what happened beforehand. And when we uh, arrived in the stadium right before the game started, there was, on the Jumbotron, there was a large flag of Israel. And the announcer invited us all to take off our hats and have a moment of silence. And then he said, and I thought it was just kind of boilerplate language, but then he said, and we pray for peace. And it was really moving to be part of 45,000 people praying for peace. And I, and I want to admit that I, I needed that this week. I, I needed a sign of hope. Um, I needed to be around other people that, that dared to believe that peace was possible, that, that even really wanted peace in our world. I think this was one of those weeks where the, the news cycle and what was happening in, and what is happening in, in Palestine and Israel really shook me. And I was, and I have been really down, kind of wondering, as, as humans, are we just inevitably tribal and violent? Is this just what it means for, for us to be human? And I think what then really kind of got to me, I was listening to this one interview, and, and uh, they weren't Americans, and the question was, why is Hamas doing this? And the answer that was given was, because they want to humiliate Israel. And, and I thought about this, and I said, wow, you know, they're wantonly destroying human life, torturing people and putting it on social media just to say, look, we can hurt you making sport of other people. And then I, too, think about the, the years of essentially apartheid the Palestinians have, have lived under and the long tit-for-tat of they did this and they did that, and, and I just am, am grieved. And so when I was preparing this week for my sermon, and I began on Tuesday mornings reading the upcoming passage, and, and I read this parable from Matthew's Gospel, and I got to verse 6. And in verse 6, it says that the king sent out more servants to invite people, but they killed them. I want to admit that I wasn't taken aback. I wasn't, I kind of didn't even blink. Oh, wow, people killed somebody senselessly. This week, that makes sense to me. That's the way the world works. Again, I, I didn't stop at verse 6. I figured, yep, that's, that's humans just kind of doing this, this thing. But then I got to verse 7. And in verse 7, Jesus says that the king was enraged. And so the king sent out his servants to, to deal with those murderers and burn down their city. And when I read that, then I was just so upset. Because it, this, the king clearly represents God in this story. And that means that the way this parable is shaped, that, that this king, who's God, sounds a lot more like a, a, mid, a Mideastern dictator who's bent on tribal revenge than the God I've come to know in Jesus Christ. Again, in, in this parable, God sounds a whole lot more like a, a Middle Eastern dictator looking to how to protect his tribe and get back at other people. 
rather than the God that I've come to worship in, in Jesus Christ. And all week then, I've been wrestling with this question, whether God ordains violence. Does God command violence then and in our world today? And again, I've been haunted by this question. <coughs> and you know, I was thinking then about this image of a banquet and the fact that God chooses to be around us. And you could poetically say that God chooses to dance with the human race. And unfortunately, it turns out that we as humans bring a lot of weapons to the dance called life. Knives, bows and arrows, mustard gas, anthrax, cluster bombs, hypersonic missiles, AK-47s, tanks, nuclear bombs, you name it. As humans, we've brought it to the party again and again. And, I'm, and I've begun to wonder whether if God is going to be the God of justice and God is somehow going to deal with us as humans over the millennia, if somehow God's hands are going to get dirty in the violence as well. And I asked myself, you know, two weeks ago, if I were in some, some position where I could have taken out the, the leader of Hamas and somehow prevented this series of terrible events, would I not have done it? And afterwards, would I not have argued and, and believed that somehow God was ordaining this? It's very difficult when we look at human history to try to sort out what is the justice coming down from heaven and what is simply human savagery. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, talked about what he called the masks of God. And what he basically said was, look, human history, the tapestry of human history is, is, woven, is woven by human good deeds and bad deeds, and it's bound together by God's mercy and justice. And that at any given moment when we look at human history, it's almost impossible when we look at the evil and suffering in the world to figure out at any point what God was doing and what simply was human sin. Again, what, where did the line between God's justice and human savagery, where did that line begin? And it becomes impossible. And so Luther counseled against trying to unmask God and figure out the thread of God's presence in human history at all possible moments. Instead, Luther counseled to look for the cross of Christ. Again, Luther counseled us to look for the cross of Christ. Indeed, those of us who are baptized have this permission to look for this. For you see, in the cross, there was violence, extreme violence. Jesus is beaten to a bloody pulp, and he's hung on a cross to suffocate for numerous hours in front of everyone. But Jesus chooses to take that violence into his body. And of course, it kills him. But when he's raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples and he says, peace be with you. There is no more plan for vengeance or retaliation, but instead a new message of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and that's the cross where the streams of mercy break forth into our world. And in spite of the, the darkness and inclination towards violence, God's redemptive love is poured out as forgiveness and reconciliation take root. And so in this parable then, where do we find the cross? Where in this story is the cross? And, and at first, it doesn't quite seem like it's there. It seems like the sun, in fact, is almost a, a background prop to this story. But if we start to wrestle with it, I think we can discover that the cross is in this parable as well. 
or at least allow ourselves some permission to imagine it there. For at the end of the story, at the end of this parable, there's a a man who doesn't have the right clothing. And I think spiritually that means he's not right with God at some level. And he's cast out into prison. And so here we have this person who needs clothing and is in prison. Such a person appears later on in the Gospel of Matthew. When, when Jesus is giving just about his last parable, his last teaching, Jesus talks about sheep and goats. And he says that when, when we do something, when we visit somebody who's in prison, when we give somebody clothing who's in need, when we feed somebody who's hungry, when we give water to somebody who's thirst, what we've done to the least of these, we've done to Jesus. Jesus chooses to identify with those who have been excluded, those who have been hurt. And if this were a play then, I I imagine that in the the last scene, when this man is, is in prison, that he would look up and he would see Jesus next to him. For again, Jesus has promised to be with those who are hurt, excluded, mistreated, who are in prison and who are in need. And I can even see Jesus giving, taking off his own wedding robe, the robe of the Son, the robe of righteousness, and giving it to this man that he may finally return to the banquet. Or I think about these, these murderers who are receiving their, their just retribution. And I think about in Scripture how, how just then a few days after this story is told, Jesus is telling this story on Monday or Tuesday of Holy Week, but just a few days later on Good Friday, there's another murderer we encounter. And that murderer's name is Barabbas. And Barabbas deserves to die But Jesus chooses to stand in his place. Jesus chooses to take the punishment of the murderer and put it on himself that the murderer may be freed. And I can imagine in in this parable, again, if we were acting it out, we would see that the son left the banquet and went to the place where there were murderers and invited to stand in their place that he would receive their death for them and that the cycle of retaliation and vengeance could finally be put to rest. Again, this is the God we've come to know in the cross, the God who chooses to end the cycles of retaliation and instead break forth in forgiveness and love. And we've been given permission, given permission in our baptisms, in our faith, to find that cross of Christ again and again. And so then if we think about this situation with Hamas and Israel and Palestine and Gaza, where is the cross of Christ there? This last week I was trying to explain the situation, or we were really as a family trying to wrap our minds around it with our kids and what they were hearing in school and what they were watching online, and we were just trying to make sense of it. And I I think in retrospect, I don't think I can make sense of it. I I think it's just one whirlwind of hatred and and retribution that doesn't make sense to me. And I don't see the cross there very easily. I don't see streams of mercy breaking forth. But then I thought a few weeks back about the quilts that we had in our sanctuary, the, the beautiful quilts that were adorning our pews that look so pretty here. And the refugee care kits and I thought and I realized you know those are actually sent out they're gathered and they leave here and they go off and they actually go to refugee camps and I and I can't help but wonder if in the in the next year there's going to be some Palestinian at some refugee camp in Egypt or somewhere in Jordan that's going to be wrapped in the very blanket that was in 
our own sanctuary. And, and I can't help but see this is where Jesus is. This is where the cross of Christ is in the, the acts here of love and peace and reconciliation of his, of his followers. Again, when I think about some of these bigger issues like Israel and Hamas, Ukraine and Russia, the list goes on and on and on. And, and I see them, I acknowledge that my, my heart is heavy. And, and I have had to humbly learn that I am not God and neither are you. And we cannot bear in our souls the suffering of six billion people at all times. It is simply too much. And we cannot, in those situations, easily discern where the cross of Christ is present. And so I invite you then to turn to your own life. I invite you to turn to your own life and, and ponder where do you see in your, your own life situations where, where justice has, has gone without mercy and become retaliation. Again, where there is retribution instead of reconciliation, where, there's, where there are parched souls who are, who are so hungry for streams of mercy. And, and to pray to God to open up our eyes that we might see the cross of Christ there, that we might see Christ's love and mercy in action in those situations. Or even as we consider the, the hatred and the anger in our hearts in those times when we really just want to get back at somebody, to, to bring that to the cross and pour it into the cross that, that God may transform it and may show us a way forward. This whole fall, we've been thinking about this gap between Sunday, the world of peace and righteousness and joy and the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, and the, and the Monday through Saturday lived experience. And, and this week, that just became such a sort of a fevered tension between the world and the God I know in Jesus Christ and, and the world that I was seeing on, on my TV, on my cell phone. And I want to offer that I think finally this gap between Sunday and Monday between the kingdom of God and this world can only be overcome in courage and in faith. For if we just simply observe what's happening, the, the tapestry before us of human history will show again and again tribal violence. But we have the faith, we have the courage to dare to say, to dare to say that finally the God the God who loves this world is a God who's chosen in Jesus Christ to die for us, to bear violence in his body, that it may be transformed into peace. And that that stream of mercy poured out from that cross still flows in our lives. And that one day, by and by, yes, indeed, there is a party, a party of the good and the bad, a party for all the tribes of the world to rejoice and give thanks to our Redeemer and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.